Welcome and greetings, career-minded superstars. You are listening to the exclusive Career Coach, your podcast for all things career. And I'm Lisa Edwards, the indispensable career coach for superstars just like you. Now let's dig into this week's topic, shall we? Hi there. I want to tell you about my webinars that are going to be coming up every month. I want you to check out my website and see what this month's webinar topic is and sign up. The format is going to be the same every month, even though the topics are going to change. It's going to be a huge variety of career-related topics. I'm going to give you a deep dive into content about that topic for about 30 minutes, and then you're going to have a chance for 30 minutes of Q&A in the chat box while I'm, I'm teaching you. You can ask me a question, and then if you're really brave, and I hope you will be, you can be volunteered to coach live on that month's topic. So you can raise your hand and I'll coach you. I want to give you that URL so that you can go to my website, see what the next topic is and sign up. So go to http colon backslash backslash. Nope. So go to my website at exclusivecareercoaching.com forward slash webinar sign up see what this month's topic is, see when and, and, and what time it is, sign up and, uh, and get in there and participate with me. I look forward to having you there. Thanks. Greetings, career managers. It's great to be with you today. Today's topic is the biggest resume mistakes that I see, or missteps, if you will. So what I'm talking about here are the resumes that come to me, the sort of before resumes, if you will, that clients bring to me as they want to redo their resume. Um, I can probably safely say that I have looked at thousands of resumes over my career. Um, I've written nearly a thousand. And when you think about the entirety of my career, I've probably looked at 10,000 resumes. And so in, in terms of what I'm seeing today, um, I want to talk about those top 10 resume mistakes that I, I'm seeing in, in resumes that I receive. I want to frame this with five considerations. So when I'm, I'm thinking about these things that are sort of universal truths about resume writing, um, you will get a variety of opinions about resumes. You will see a variety of resumes out there. So what I've come up with are five things that are pretty universal truths. Pretty much everybody's going to agree to these things. Number one is Today's resume is a marketing document rather than a static, what I call a data sheet. So if you think about a data sheet, a data sheet says, here's where I worked. It's the name of the company. I had this job title. I had these job duties, lather, rinse, repeat. And it sort of says, here's what I was hired to do, and I did it. And then I was hired to do this, and I did it. It doesn't market you. So the effective today's sort of current contemporary resume is, in fact, a marketing document rather than a data sheet of names and dates and places. Second consideration is that more often than not, your resume is not the first thing that a prospective employer is going to see about you. So it's often the case that they're going to see your LinkedIn profile first. So that really changes the strategy of your resume. When you think about it back in the day, no one would ever know who you were. They wouldn't have any idea about you until they received a resume from you at the company. But today, that's simply not the case. And, and oftentimes, recruiters are out looking on LinkedIn. That's how they find you. And the resume then becomes a follow-up to that LinkedIn profile. Number three, brevity is the name of the game. 
No one wants to receive a five-page resume. No one has the time. No one has the inclination to read it. And nor do they want to sift through all of that information to sort of pull out the hidden gems. They want short, sweet, and to the point. Two pages for most people is the norm. Now, that's a very different uh, subject if we're talking about a curriculum vitae or a CV. CVs are typically used in academic, most likely higher education, and also in the sciences, more academic fields. And that's where they want everything you've ever done. They want every publication, every presentation. It's an exhaustive list of everything you've done. I have seen, not that I think it's a great idea, but I have seen 50-page CVs. Your resume, again, it's a marketing document. Nobody wants to look at a five-page ad for a, a company or a product, nor do they want to look at a five-page ad for you. So brevity is the name of the game. The fourth consideration here is that you need a pretty resume and an applicant tracking system compatible resume. Or if you just want one resume, you need to make sure that it's applicant tracking system compatible. That's that system that parses your resume. So whether you're applying online to a job board like Indeed.com or you've gone to a company's website and you're applying, that's an applicant tracking system. And in order for you to be found by the person at the other end who is seeking you, you have to have your resume in a certain format. It has to be devoid of certain things and include certain things. And the pretty resume can't do that. So I always give my clients two versions of the resume. Other resume writers will just write one resume. It doesn't have the graphic. It doesn't have the visual appeal, but it is fully applicant tracking system compatible. And then my fifth consideration is that you should sell it, not tell it. So in terms of the metrics on your resume, you want quantifiable results. It's the name of the game. So rather than telling an employer what you did, um, you want to tell them how well you did it. And so instead of saying, I'm, you know, I consistently produce superior results, okay, that's just words, but what can you show me, what evidence can you show me that you have produced consistently superior results? So again, those five considerations, today's resume is a marketing document rather than a static data sheets of not names and dates and places. Most often your resume is not the first thing an employer is going to see about you. It's most likely they're going to see your LinkedIn profile first. Brevity is the name of the game, two pages at most for almost everybody. You need a, an applicant tracking system resume. And in my case, I always give my clients the pretty version as well. And then finally, you want to sell it. Don't tell it. So don't tell them about how great you are. Sell them. Show evidence of it with metrics and quantifiable results. So having given you those considerations, here are the top 10 missteps that I see in the resumes I receive, those before resumes. So number one, there's no clear job target on the resume. So it's not clear what type of position the person is seeking. So what I do with the resumes I create is I'm going to put that job title up at the top. So in many cases, it's the same job title that they have now or a very similar one. In other cases, they're looking to move up. And so it's an aspirational job title. But it's it's the heading. It's It tells that I always think of kind of the old school before applicant tracking systems. 
I picture this very harried human resources person sitting at a, you know, a large conference table. They've gotten in all these resumes today and they're trying to figure out what pile to put it in. You want to make it as easy for that person, which now it's a computer doing that, but you want to make it as easy as you can for that person or computer to figure out what pile you need to go in, which job are you applying for, which type of job are you interested in. And that job target, whether it's stated at the top of the resume or not, should be the focus of that resume. So everything about that resume should speak to the qualifications for that particular job target. So that's a critical one. I see a lot of a lot of resumes where as I look at the resume, it's not obvious to me. They could be in sales, they could be an IT person, they could be an HR. I mean, they've had these very job experiences and there's not been any attempt to sort of tie all of that together into an identifiable job target. So the second misstep that I see on resumes is that there's really no discernible brand on the resume. So the applicant has not made an effort to identify and articulate what makes them different from other candidates, what makes them better than other candidates, what is their brand. So the alternative to that, when the client hasn't done that, when the applicant hasn't done that, is that they then become the generic option. So if you think about generic, right, you go to the store, it's black and white, it has no personality for the most part, and you buy generic only because it saves you money. Very seldom, if ever, I can't think of an example where I have chosen generic because I thought it was a superior product. I only buy it because it saves me money. So if you turn that around, if you, as a job applicant, are the generic candidate, you're going to be the less expensive alternative. I think I can get this person for less money than this well-branded candidate that is in the pile. Now, most employers aren't going to do that. Most employers are willing to pay more money to get the brand. But if they are wanting the cheapest candidate and you appear to be that less expensive alternative, then they're not going to be offering you top dollar clearly. So you want to make sure that your brand is discernible. I've talked about that some in previous podcasts. I'm going to be talking about that a lot more. I talked about in a recent podcast, Brand You. And that's really thinking about how do you articulate your brand and market yourself. All right, misstep number three. I see large paragraphs of text on the resume that no one's going to take the time to read. So one of the things that um, is sort of a rule of thumb in, in professional resume writing is that there's never a paragraph that's more than, you know, three or four lines. Occasionally I will go to a fifth line. I don't prefer to do it, but I'm really working in very small blocks of text. And if you think about it, in, like in social media, um, when I'm writing a blog, for example, I oftentimes am writing one-sentence paragraphs, two-sentence paragraphs. I'm breaking up the text a lot with a lot of white space. It could be the same amount of information, but when it comes in those little bite-sized sections, it makes it a much more approachable document. It seems like it's going to be much more easy to consume it. And that's the way people will look at your resume. So I will literally get resumes that have 12 line blocks of text and no one's going to sort through that to get the little gems out but also they're just going to not want to look at your resume at all because there's just too much writing in the page so you want to really call that down to the important stuff so again one of the challenges 
that we as professional resume writers have is cutting through the excess, eliminating the excess, trimming it out so that what's left is the really important stuff that speaks to your brand. So what is there in that large block of text that's really important? Don't expect the reader to figure that out. You want to spoon feed it to them. This is the important stuff about me. And so, again, three or four lines in a paragraph. And that paragraph should really be either in your summary section or in the job description of your work experience. Your, your accomplishments should always be separated out. I'm going to talk to that a little bit more in a moment. So along those lines, number four is a focus on the job description. So what you did rather than the list, a focus on accomplishments, which is how well you did it. So a lot of resumes, it gets back to that concept of a data sheet. A lot of client before resumes are, here's where I worked, here was my job title, here were the job duties I held. And there are either no accomplishments in sight, or those accomplishments are mixed in with the job duties. And that dilutes the effectiveness of the accomplishments, because they're very hard to pull out. It's hard to tell what's what. So you want to focus on your resume on accomplishments, and that's a big misstep that I see with a lot of the resumes that come to me. All right, number five, we call it death by bullets. So you, again, you've mixed the job duties in with maybe some accomplishments, maybe not, and everything is bulleted. So there's not a paragraph in sight. It's all bulleted. All your job duties, all your maybe accomplishments are in there. I have seen 15 and 20 bullets under one job. So that is clearly death by bullets. And so everything's diluted. Everything's kind of hidden, mixed in together. There's no clear brand here. I don't like to have more than, at the most, six bullets. And I really try to keep it to three to four, maybe five bullets per job. And the bullets are always accomplishments. They always start with a hard-hitting action verb like adjusted, predicted, um, executed. Those are very strong action verbs, and those start each one of those bullets. And you don't want to mix that verbiage have some of them start with action verbs and some of them start with, you know, a word like specifically or something else because it's very jarring as the reader is trying to comb quickly through your resume to get what he or she needs out of it. It's going to be much more difficult if you've mixed up that verbiage and things aren't consistent. I think it also says something about you in terms of your kind of organizational skills and your thought process. You know, you want to present yourself as this very organized, very consistent person, and your resume, if it's mixed up, it starts one way, it ends another way, it's not going to present you in that, in that light. So number, let me give you the first five again. So number one, no clear job target. It's not clear what type of position the, the person is looking for. Number two, no discernible brand. The candidate is really the generic option. Number three, large paragraphs of text that no one's going to take the time to read. Number four, a focus on job descriptions, what the person did, rather than accomplishments, how well they did it. And then number five, death by bullets. So 15 or 20 job bullet, or bullets under each job, meaning that no one's going to find the important information there. All right, number six, the person has given their life history rather than a carefully edited and targeted branded resume that is succinct 
and elicits the desired result, which is a call for an interview. So they have used really no discernment in what should and shouldn't be included in that resume. This typically is one of those five or six page resumes. They've gone back far more than the I usually go back with professionals about 15 years. If they're mid to upper level, we're going to go back about 15 years with their work experience. They're going back to the 80s. They've got everything they've ever done on there. So no effort is made to cull through that and, and spoon feed the reader the most important information. Number seven, they've used job titles that are probably, they were the job title they were given when they're in that job, but it, they are confusing job titles or they don't accurately represent the scope of the person's responsibility. So one of the things that I do when working with clients is we will often massage a job title to make more sense to people outside of that company. Oftentimes my clients will come to me and say that for whatever reason, their company's job titles are very sort of peculiar and they mean a lot within that company, but they would mean nothing to anyone outside of the company. So my acid test when we start massaging job titles is this. If a prospective employer were to call this particular employer that we're talking about and say, did this individual work there? They would say yes. And then they say, did they have the job title of blank? I want, of course, the response to be yes. So it's close enough that the person at the other end would go, yeah, that's, that's about right understood. So we're not saying you were the president of the company if you were, you know, an entry-level coordinator position. But we can massage those titles a little bit so that, again, it makes sense to someone outside the company. Secondly, it accurately reflects the scope of the duty. So sometimes I have clients who have a much more junior sounding job title than the work they actually did. So we talk about and we strategize about how we can reflect that job duty more appropriately in the job title. And then also, finally, and this is kind of a, a pretty important one, is we want that job title to be SEO sort of friendly. So when you think about uh, for LinkedIn purposes and for ATS purposes, if someone is looking for a marketing director, one of the things they might look for is current job title marketing director. So let's say your job title was, you know, marketing, I don't know, marketing something else. It didn't have the word director in it. Is, is director really the level of work that you did? Can we legitimately put that word director in there? Or maybe you didn't have the word marketing in your job title, but that's what you did. So how can we massage that job title to make it more SEO friendly and to make it more accurately reflect what the rest of the world would call that job title, both in terms of the, the title and the level? All right, number eight work history that dates back to the Middle Ages. I alluded to this a moment ago. <laughs> so uh, I was just reading a post on uh, somewhere today, LinkedIn, I guess, and it was talking about how, oh, I know what it was. I was looking at, um, I'm old, so I get AARP magazine, and I was looking at that, and someone was talking about how they did this career shift because they had decided to go back into the job force, and even though they didn't put the dates on their education that all the employers could tell how old they were. Well, that was an immediate clue to me that they were going back too far in their work experience. And so 15 years for most people ought to be enough time for the reader to get a sense of the trajectory of your career. What I'm saying by that is hopefully there's some growth in terms of job duties, job responsibilities, job titles within that 15 years. That's a very movable target because I'm looking at things like 
what jobs did you have when? What companies did you work for when? You know, where's the logical cutoff spot for you? So that 15 years is just sort of my starting point. And I may go shorter or longer depending on the client's specific situation, but I'm not going to go back to the Middle Ages. The other thing that I will often do with clients' resumes is if they have something older on their resume that really needs to stay, I will put it under the category earlier career experience. And that allows me to break format and include only the information that is most useful for the client's benefit, most beneficial to the client. So it might be the company name, it might be the job title, it might be a particular accomplishment that they had there, but we're not going to put as much information as we do in the more recent jobs. Typically, I will do this if the client worked for a really impressive company, because by the way, with SEO, some one of the ways that recruiters will search is by their competitors. So if you want to work in a particular industry... And maybe 20 years ago, you worked for a competitor in that industry that's a big deal, then let's get that name on the resume. Let's make sure that company name is on there. The other reason that I like to go back that far is when a person has a job title that is closer perhaps to what they want to do next than some of the more recent jobs. So there may be a reason that we want that job title on the resume. And again, there may be accomplishment. I can think back, the, the actual biggest accomplishment in my entire career happened back, geez, two companies ago, and now I have my own business. So we're talking about in the 90s. Um, it's a pretty long time ago, but I would want to make sure that that particular accomplishment made it onto my resume and, and stays on my resume till the end because it's such a huge deal. All right, so that's number eight, work history that dates back to the Middle Ages. Number nine, irrelevant information, such as hobbies or unrelated extracurriculars. The employer does not need to know about your love of windsurfing. Your employer does not need to know. I, I don't see this very often anymore, but occasionally we have things like marital status. Now, I have an international client population, and so when I'm working with a client who is in Africa or Europe, for example, I will go on the internet and I will research that to refresh my memory on what personal information is considered kind of expected because it's very different. But with my, the majority of my clients are in North America, Canada, and the U.S., and we don't want any of that personal information. We also don't need unrelated extracurriculars. So what I mean by that is you know, if you volunteer for Habitat for Humanity, that could be related. If you're in the building industry or you're in, maybe you're applying for a nonprofit, in those cases, that's a related extracurricular. But if you're going into, I don't know, some other kind of field, it probably isn't related. There's a place for that on LinkedIn. I think it's very appropriate, but not on your resume, especially when we're trying to keep that document to two pages and be very succinct with your brand message. And then number 10, I saved my favorite misstep for last, and that is a boring looking resume. I mentioned earlier about having two resumes, and that's what I do for my own clients. So we have what I call the pretty version, and we have the applicant tracking system version, which has stripped all the formatting out and made it easy for the ATS to read. But for that pretty resume, I think that the use of color and shading and bolding can really liven up a document and make it a more compelling read. So I want you to have some fun here, but stay within the bounds of good taste. So 
You know, I have, um, even though I focus with sales and marketing, I have some accounting folks who come to me and IT folks who come to me. And that's a pretty, we keep it pretty straightforward. But when I get to play with, and I think of it as play, it's so much fun. When I have a marketing client who says, go for it, then I'm going to play. I'm going to be a little bit more bolder in the use of color and the way I formatted it. Uh, One of my favorite resumes that I ever did, I've only done this one time. She was a recent college graduate going into journalism, had extensive experience uh, starting her career out. And I did a, uh, a landscape resume. So if you, in, in terms of formatting, you know, what normally what you see is up and down. I turned it on its side as a landscape resume and created it as two pages. So the one sheet of paper was two, kind of two sides. And so that was her resume. And she told me she got so much fantastic feedback about that resume. It was fun. I used a little bit different font. And it was just a lot of fun to do. Now, would I do that for an accountant? Of course not. That would be a horrible idea for an accountant. But for someone like her, fresh out of college, marketing field, someone who's in a more creative field, think a little bit outside of the box. The the ultimate goal is for your resume to stand out but not stick out. So you want to make sure that you're still staying within the bounds of good taste. All right, so... Number six, again, was that I see your life history, you know, pages upon pages as opposed to a very succinct, targeted document. Number seven, job titles that are confusing, they don't make sense to the outside world, and they don't make sense for the position that you're going for. Number eight, your work history goes back far more than it needs to. Number nine, you've included irrelevant information like personal information, hobbies, extracurricular activities that aren't related to the work you want to do. And then number 10, your resume is just yawn-inducing. It's super boring. There's nothing about it that makes me compelled to read it. All right, so those are my top 10 resume missteps I see in the before resumes, the resumes that come to me from prospective clients. And if you have any questions about your resume, you can certainly reach out to me. My email address is lisa, that's L-E-S-A, at exclusivecareercoaching.com. You can put a message in the comments line. I would love to speak with you about your resume and talk with you about how we can turn that thing into a fabulously branded and targeted marketing document. So I hope you have a fantastic week and I hope to hear from you soon. Take care. You've been listening to the Exclusive Career Coach with Lisa Edwards, CEO of Exclusive Career Coaching. It would be great if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Also, I want to be your career coach, so be sure to ask questions about your career management challenges and job search situation. Until next time.